Preterm birth is fairly common, with one in eight women going into labor prior to 37 weeks of gestation, which qualifies as preterm. And complications for babies born early can be a little scary. On this episode of the Women's Health Cast, I talked to Dr. Janine Rhodes about what causes preterm labor, what options are available to slow or stop labor, and what people can do to reduce their risk of delivering their babies early. Dr. Rhodes is a maternal fetal medicine specialist in the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. From the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and this is the Women's Health Cast. Today, we're going to learn about preterm birth, and I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Janine Rhodes to the Women's Health Cast. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I wanted to speak with you because you are a maternal fetal medicine specialist in our department. And before we learn about um, preterm birth and some of the causes, a little bit more about what preterm means, um, what I would like to know a little bit about what it's like to be a maternal fetal medicine specialist. What do you do in your day job and kind of what does your practice look like? Yeah. So maternal fetal medicine is a subspecialty of general obstetrics and gynecology where we did a fellowship training to specialize just in high-risk pregnancy care. So for us, that um, typically involves either a sick mom or a sick baby. So a lot of the maternal conditions we see are things that women see a doctor for outside of pregnancy, like diabetes, high blood pressure, other medical conditions that we then help them manage during their pregnancy. And we also help take care of uh, women whose fetuses are diagnosed with abnormalities during the pregnancy and manage them uh, through that. So we're going to talk about preterm birth today. And to start with, I want to know what does preterm birth mean? I feel like I have heard many different words like preterm, premature, early, I guess, um, Are there different words to describe how early a baby is born compared to like their full term? Tell me more about the definitions. A lot of people sort of think that if their baby comes anytime before their due date that it was born early or preterm. But uh, by our sort of technical definitions in obstetrics, a baby is considered preterm if it's born before 37 weeks of gestation. So full term, uh, your due date is assigned based on the pregnancy going 40 weeks, um, 40 completed weeks, but any baby that comes prior to 37 weeks is preterm. There's also some sort of confusion of really early preterm babies, um, you know, when it's a miscarriage versus a preterm birth. And again, technically the definition starts that a preterm birth is between 20 weeks and zero days and then 36 weeks and six days. How common is preterm birth? How often does this happen? Uh, Preterm birth is one of the more common complications that we see in pregnancy. Uh, The the rate kind of fluctuates up and down. Um, In the U.S., currently the rate's about 12% or about one in eight pregnancies that result in a preterm birth before 37 weeks. Do we know why they happen? There are lots of theories and a lot of things that contribute to preterm birth. Um, So I guess the main thing to kind of first distinguish is that um, preterm birth, about half of the time is a result of just actual preterm labor and about half of the time is a result of having an indication or a reason to deliver preterm either because of a complication in the mom or a complication in the baby. So about half of preterm births are just a result of 
spontaneous labor or a mom's water breaking spontaneously early. Um, and so those cases that I think we're kind of thinking about more today, just true preterm labor, um, we don't know exactly why that happens. There are a lot of theories about it and a lot of sort of thoughts and risk factors that we know of, um, but exactly what triggers any woman, you know, to suddenly truly go into labor and deliver her baby early is not fully understood. Um, there's kind of two components to it. Uh, one being, you know, in most cases you have to have uterine contractions to labor and deliver. And so there's a lot of thought about inflammation or infection or things like that in the uterus that can trigger those contractions early. And then the other component of it is the cervix has to dilate and open for the baby to deliver. And the cervix is a very dense, you know, thick fibrous structure that typically works to hold the baby inside. And so there's kind of a lot of theories again about why that would open it on its own um, early. And so those two things kind of both have to happen generally for preterm labor, but exactly what triggers that isn't known um, in most cases. You mentioned risk factors and um, what are some of the theorized risk factors or some of our understandings of what might make someone more likely to go into labor early? Yeah, there are many. So the biggest one that we know of is if somebody has had a prior preterm birth or had gone into labor early in a previous pregnancy or their water broke early in a previous pregnancy. Um, so that is actually one of the strongest risk factors for it happening again in their subsequent pregnancies. A lot of the other risk factors that we sort of know about um, include um, like a younger uh, maternal age, a lower mom's uh, body mass index or weight going into pregnancy, being underweight going into pregnancy. Um, black race is a risk factor for preterm birth. And then some of those other things that can come up in the pregnancy that I mentioned, like infection. Um, so if the mom develops a genital tract infection or urinary tract infection, those are thought to be risk factors. Having bleeding in the pregnancy can be a risk factor for early birth um, or early labor. Those are kind of the more common things we think of, but again, a lot of times it's, it's unexplained when it happens too. What about, are there any physiological risk factors in terms of just kind of how our bodies are formed? I feel like I've heard a lot of that the cervix plays a really big role in this. And are there, you know, differences in the way kind of our cervixes are made that might increase our likelihood of going into preterm labor? Yes, that's a great question. So the cervix, um, like I mentioned, is sort of this thick, dense structure that normally functions to hold uh, the pregnancy in. And um, in the setting of labor, the cervix has to both dilate, which means it needs to open, and then also needs to what we call a face, um, which essentially means that it needs to thin out. So a normal cervix in early pregnancy typically measures somewhere between like two and a half and five centimeters in length. And um, another known risk factor for a preterm birth is a patient who has a shortened cervix sort of early in the pregnancy where we typically assess it somewhere between 16 and 23 weeks, um, commonly assessed at the 20-week anatomy ultrasound. And we know that patients whose cervix is shortened at that you know, mid-second trimester time, usually around 20 weeks, also have an increased risk of having a preterm birth a little bit later on in the pregnancy. I have one quick question. Um, 
what about uh, interpregnancy intervals and like pregnancy spacing? Um, I feel like I was just reading about this in the last few days, and I, I kind of can't remember what I what I read. Um, when when people are considering, you know, having a, a second pregnancy following a previous um, baby, does the amount of time that like elapses between pregnancies or between between deliveries can that affect their likelihood of going into preterm labor? It can. That's another risk factor um, that's considered for preterm birth. Is a short interpregnancy interval is considered a risk factor for preterm labor and preterm birth. The general recommendation is to allow at least 18 months between pregnancies. That can vary a little bit depending on how complicated or uncomplicated the pregnancy was and the age of the patient. So generally speaking, for most low-risk people, 18 months between pregnancies is is the recommendation. Um, There are some patients who have more complicated first pregnancies or have a more complicated delivery that we would recommend even longer between pregnancies. And then there are some patients who maybe are um, a little bit older maternal age and you have to sort of weigh the risks of their declining fertility with age with the risks of having close pregnancies. And so in that case, sometimes the recommendation gets bumped down a little bit to more like 12 months between pregnancies. Um, But generally it is recommended to space a little bit between pregnancies, um, and it is a risk factor for preterm birth to have pregnancies really close together. So if you're working with a patient who goes into preterm labor, someone comes in and they're um, starting labor what feels like you know earlier than their, their due date, what do you as a maternal fetal medicine specialist do? Is there a, a treatment plan or what happens? When somebody presents um, with early labor and early contractions, the first step is essentially sort of an evaluation of everything that's going on. Um, So when someone comes in, like to our OB triage unit, for example, um, we monitor the baby, we monitor mom's contractions on um, our fetal monitoring uh, system, and then it's really a full evaluation of mom to look for any potential causes or explanation. So many of those things I kind of just mentioned, Looking in mom's urine, does she have a a urinary tract infection that she maybe doesn't have symptoms of but is present and causing problems? Is there any sign of infection of the cervix or the vagina? We do an exam, look for any bleeding, um, and an exam to actually assess for dilation of the cervix when the woman presents with early contractions. Um, on that exam too, we'd look for any evidence that um, the bag of you know the membranes or bag of water have ruptured. Um, that's not always a super obvious thing, so sometimes we identify that unexpectedly. And then it's sort of a matter of um, monitoring mom to see what's going on. There are many cases where a woman experiences preterm contractions, but they aren't actually causing true labor. So kind of to be considered true preterm labor, there have to be contractions that are causing cervical change and cervical dilation. Um, so in some circumstance, a woman, circumstances, a woman will present and um, she'll have preterm contractions that may be uncomfortable or painful, but they're not causing any cervical change. And sometimes they will sort of resolve on their own. So we can give sometimes some IV fluids because dehydration can also trigger contractions. Um, the uterus being a big muscle, when you're dehydrated like any muscle that cramps, um, that can happen. 
if the contractions are truly causing cervical change and, and preterm labor, then um, depending on the patient's gestational age, we um, often want to try to stop or slow the contractions and the labor. Um, in those cases, we use medications that we call um, a tocolysis or a tocolytic drug. There are a few different ones um, that we can use to help slow or stop contractions. Um, we also, uh, you know, before we make a decision to actually stop labor, really want to be sure that it's safe to do so. And so we want to make sure that mom is well, that baby is well, and that, you know, this is kind of an unexplained just early labor. In cases, obviously, where, you know, mom is having bleeding or she's obviously has a, a bad infection or the baby um, heart rate tracing is not reassuring, um, sometimes that is an indication that this labor is happening kind of for a reason naturally, and the safest thing is to just allow the woman to labor and deliver. Uh, however, in cases where the baby really seems to be doing well, mom seems to be doing well, and this is just early labor without um, anything otherwise concerning going on, then we would use medication to try to slow or stop the labor. The main goal of the medications is really to give us time to help uh, the baby mature a little bit. So we typically, prior to 34 weeks, and in some cases even up to 37 weeks, we administer um, a course of steroid injections to mom that help um, the baby to mature. Uh, so the sort of most beneficial thing that we can do for baby that's been shown really well in many studies um, is a course of what we typically use as beta-methasone, um, which is a shot for mom, um, but we give two doses 24 hours apart, and that hugely improves baby's overall chance of surviving at preterm birth, um, also helps reduce the rate of um, bleeding in baby's brain after delivery, helps boost the baby's lung development, and helps protect them from getting infection in their bowels after delivery too. So that is kind of our biggest, most beneficial intervention for the baby when the babies are born preterm. And so our goal really with giving medication to mom to stop contractions and stop labor is really to, to allow time for those steroids to be given and to have their most benefit to the baby, um, which the steroids are kind of reach their peak benefit about 48 hours after the first dose is given. And so we generally give the medication to stop labor, stop contractions, just for those first 48 hours. So you just mentioned a few, um, a few reasons why you kind of pursue a, a course of steroid injections for mom that kind of help minimize some uh, complications for, the, for newborns, for the babies. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about some complications that are common for babies who are born too early? Absolutely. So there are a lot of things that uh, can happen when a baby is born preterm, and the severity and the type of complications really depend on how early the baby is born. So, you know, typically 34 weeks and beyond, which we kind of consider the later preterm time, those babies generally do very well, and their complications tend to be... Um, related to usually needing maybe a little bit of, of breathing and respiratory support, um, and then just learning how to eat and gaining some weight. But generally, those babies have less complications and do well. In comparison, babies that are born extremely preterm, so somewhere around 23 up to 28 weeks or so, have obviously a lot more complications. 
and um, you know the neonatologists take care of those babies in the neonatal intensive care unit. The main sort of things that they watch for, certainly the lung development is always an issue and most of those babies require a breathing tube for some time. And then the other more common serious complications that they see are um, an intracranial hemorrhage, which is bleeding in the baby's brain, complications with infection, either in their bloodstream or there's a specific infection called necrotizing enterocolitis that affects um, preterm babies' bowels. And, um, you know, really any major organ system can be affected, but those are some of the more common things that they have to battle with really extremely preterm uh, babies. So you just mentioned neonatologists and um, the neonatal intensive care unit, the NICU. I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about um, the team of medical providers who are on hand during a preterm labor, um, both for mom and for baby. And, you know, how does that team look a little different for a an early labor than for a closer to full-term labor? Who's in the room and on hand to help out? Yeah, it's usually a pretty big team. And again, it depends a little bit on how early the baby is, but say an extremely preterm baby, uh, we certainly have our obstetric team for mom. A lot of times, unfortunately, those really early preterm deliveries not always, but often end up being a delivery by cesarean because those babies are more likely to be breached or in a, in a position that it's not safe to deliver vaginally. Um, so in that case, you have mom's obstetric team and mom's anesthesia team. And then for baby, there's a large team um, for the resuscitation of the baby. So neonatal um, intensive care unit nursing team, the neonatologists, and um, the team to help, you know, Assuming they have to put a breathing tube in baby right away, they have a team, you know, with the the equipment for that, and um, you know, a lot of equipment to put IV access into the baby right away and make sure they kind of have everything stabilized before they transfer the baby from the delivery room to the neonatal ICU. At the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned some um, sort of pre-existing conditions that might mean that you work with the patient throughout you know, most of their pregnancy, like uh, if the patient has diabetes or um, some other kind of chronic conditions that might refer them immediately to a maternal fetal medicine specialist. I'm curious, um, Is since we can't really predict all the time who might be at a higher risk for preterm labor, um, when do you get looped in? in a patient's care if they didn't have these pre-existing conditions? Yeah, so the kind of third piece of our job, I guess, aside from ultrasounds and clinic, is um, managing patients who are inpatient. So when, meaning admitted to the hospital. So when somebody comes in, in early labor, often their obstetric provider, either a general OBGYN, midwife, family practice provider, uh, will often consult us as maternal fetal medicine specialists to help with the management of their preterm labor. So we are called in to consult and then often, um, you know, take over these patients' care, assuming we hopefully are successful in keeping them pregnant and not delivering. We take over their care while they need to be admitted to the hospital, which is typically on an antepartum unit where we observe patients in the hospital who aren't actively delivering. And so we tend to manage them there and, and watch them while they're in the hospital. 
until they're um, stable to go home or if they have delivered. So we've talked about some of the complications that um, can be common for babies who are born too early, but I'm curious, um, does going into labor early present any risks or complications for moms? Yeah, there are a lot of things that we watch really closely for in a mom who is in early labor, and especially in a mom whose water has broken early. So we know once a mother's water has broken, um, we actually keep those patients in the hospital until they deliver their baby because of the risks to mom, which are, um, there's a risk of them developing an infection. So the amniotic membrane um, that, you know, normally seals the water once that's broken, that sort of opens up um, an opportunity for infection to go up into the uterus, which can make both mom and baby very sick. We also know that once the water is broken, the mom is at risk for something called a placental abruption, where the placenta starts to separate from the uterus early, and that puts the mom at risk for significant bleeding and blood loss. Um, and then once the water is broken, there's um, always a risk that mom will go into labor. So... For all those reasons, once the water is broken early, if the woman hasn't proceeded to labor and deliver the baby, we do watch them in the hospital, knowing that there are significant risks for both mom and baby in that situation. If the mom has early labor, but the water, her bag of water has not broken, and it's just that she's having early contractions or the cervix has dilated a little bit, um, there's less risk, although still a risk of developing bleeding or infection, uh, but that's less so when the when the membranes are intact. And so in those cases, we typically, you know, kind of watch mom and the fetus in the hospital, usually depending how dilated the cervix is for a day or two. And if everything is stable, then, you know, typically that is a patient who's able to go home and, and just take really close precautions um, and come back if anything changes. So I'm wondering, is there anything people can do to prevent or reduce their risk of preterm labor. It sounds kind of scary, kind of dangerous. And so what can we do on our ends to reduce the likelihood that this will happen? So I kind of think of this in, in two groups of people. The first group being somebody who has never had preterm labor before, either it's their first baby or they've had a previous full-term delivery. And for those patients, there essentially is nothing that they can do to prevent or reduce preterm labor, aside from just getting good regular um, prenatal care. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, talk and, and thoughts that have changed recently. So some people have thought it's important for women to not exercise or to be on bed rest, um, or that they shouldn't have intercourse or all these things that could potentially cause preterm labor. And all of that has been for the most part, kind of disproven. And so in people who are low risk for preterm labor, who either, like I said, have had a prior term delivery or have this is their first baby, you know, they should get their routine prenatal care, but they don't need to otherwise, you know, drastically modify their activities. Um, so exercise, we encourage people to exercise to the same level intensity, basically, that they were exercising prior to pregnancy. Um, with the caveat that they're obviously listening to their bodies and that's going to change as the pregnancy goes on. Um, and, you know, bed rest has not been shown to reduce any complications really in pregnancy. And so that is not uh, recommended. And, you know, so generally just a healthy lifestyle, healthy pregnancy is, is the key for low risk people. The other group of patients that 
I think about then are the patients who have had a preterm birth or preterm labor in prior pregnancies. And in that case, there are some things that we like to do in their next pregnancy to try to reduce their risk of delivering early again. Um, So one intervention um, that we have seen is, is the use of progesterone. And so it's something that's become recently a little bit controversial, but there is an injection of progesterone that goes in um, a weekly shot that has been shown in some studies to reduce mom's risk of having another preterm birth in her next pregnancy. Um, There's a more recent study that just came out that actually did not find a benefit to this injection. And so now we're sort of um, left in a little bit of a a pickle because um, they had, they studied very different types of patients in the two studies. And so um, at this point, we're really just counseling women who have had preterm labor in the past about the studies, about the type of women that were studied in each of those two different studies and kind of seeing where that patient might fit, where she looks most like the patients that were studied um, in terms of age and demographics and um, how early the preterm birth was and things like that, and helping them sort of make a decision together about whether those progesterone injections are the best thing for them in their next pregnancy. The other thing that we look at in the next pregnancy for women who had a preterm birth in the past is um, looking at their cervix. So how we mentioned earlier, um, a shortened cervix is a risk factor for preterm birth. And in a patient who had preterm labor in the past and delivered preterm and is pregnant again, we like to measure their cervix between that 16 to 23 weeks of pregnancy. Um, We know that if their cervix starts to shorten during that time, um, something that's called a cerclage, which is essentially a procedure where we actually stitch the cervix closed, has been shown to really reduce their risk of delivering preterm. So we follow the length of the cervix in those patients and offer them a cerclage if their cervix would shorten um, in that middle uh, few weeks of pregnancy. The other thing... um, that we do for women who don't have a prior preterm birth or this is their first baby is also related to that cervical length that if their cervix were found to be short um, around that 20-week time, then um, there's a different form of progesterone that can be used to help reduce their risk of preterm birth, um, which is a vaginal progesterone. So in those patients, we typically prescribe um, a nightly vaginal suppository of progesterone that um, has been shown to reduce their chance of delivering preterm in that pregnancy as well. Um, so we sort of do a lot of monitoring on patients, um, but for the most part, for general low-risk people, they don't you know, need to do anything extra special besides you know, getting their prenatal care, reporting any symptoms, to their providers, which would be, you know, contractions, bleeding, fluid leaking, feeling of a lot of pressure or discomfort um, so that their prenatal care provider can evaluate them. Dr. Rhodes, I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you again for having me. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what women's health issues you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>